Hello, and welcome to the I Love Splatter Splattercast. I am Amy, your co-host, and Adrian is also here with me, of course. Hello! We are going to talk about Pet Cemetery 2, so continuing on uh, with Mary Lambert, who of course directed the first Pet Cemetery. and on the last episode we talked about how great it is and how it somehow manages to merge the serious with the ridiculous and the funny and the gore and it's all a magical experience not so much with this one this one i wouldn't say is magical it is fun i do think lambert um does a lot of really great things in terms of the way she shoots it and the style that you know she chose uh, but hell, that script is just not as good. <laughs> but there are some yes. reasons for this. Uh, I am going to pass it off to Adrian, and she is going to download the plot of the movie to y'all. As always, a reminder, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Not that I think it's that big of a deal with this particular <laughs> film. But, uh, yeah. So, Adrian, you want to tell us all about Pet Cemetery 2? Sure, yeah. Um, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. And as we go along, I'm sure Amy will help me um, weave in some of our more uh, uh, more of our opinions because there's <laughs> there's lots of story. There's a lot of story here, actually. That is probably the biggest um, hurdle as I was getting ready to join you today is like going back through and and weaving back in all the various pieces they there are lots of little storylines and they all come mm -hmm. together but some of them more successfully than others that's true yeah when I was rewatching it I was thinking about that about how it's kind of like kind of jumps all over the place in between things and then you have this thing where like some characters barely even talk to each other even though they're related so <laughs> <laughs> right Yes. But 1992 also, I should we should mention like the soundtrack, I think, because this is such a 1992 soundtrack and I love it. Oh, yeah. I, it's kind of jarring, but in a good way. Like it fits with the film. But when it first started playing, I was like kind of what, what, what? Um, just because it's so different from the first film. But I think you, you can't really... This film feels better if you divorce it from the first film, but you can't because even the characters are talking about the first film. Yeah. Uh -huh. Gotta make that reference just in case somebody hasn't seen Pet Cemetery. Right. Right. But I kind of like that. So let's let's get going. So at the beginning of the film, we open and actually we're in like a, a spooky, spooky castle with this beautiful woman walking down the stairs in like a, you know, kind of quote unquote old timey gown or just gothic gown. And you're like, what's happening? And the truth is the f a film is being filmed. Um, so this is how we're introduced to Renee, an actress who is filming a gothic horror film, and her son Jeff, who's played by Edward Furlong. Um, and he's kind of just, you know, he's there to see his mom. He's there to say, hey, I've been with dad. The, his parents, Jeff's parents, are um, their relationship is on the rocks. And he's kind of acting as an intermediary saying, hey, dad would really like dinner. And it's kind of a lovely, in terms of like um, non-antagonistic uh, 
discussion, you know, in most films mm -hmm. you see like one of the parents is like, I, this relationship is over. Don't want anything to do with the, the other person. But, you know, in this Jeff says, you know, dad would really like dinner. And Renee is like, yeah, you know what? Okay. I, that sounds great. You know, don't get your hopes up, Jeff. I'm not sure that this relationship is salvageable, but sure. Mm -hmm. So much healthier than what you see usually. Would you agree? Yeah, it's kind of sweet. It's like you can tell immediately that they have a good relationship. You know, uh, him and his mother have a good relationship. You can tell that um, she's, you know, she's not been trash talking dad to him. Um, yeah. You know, that, you know, it's, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of a nice little moment as opposed to, like you said, usually it's like parents that are separated. There's like a lot of strife and one sort of bad and one sort of good. And there's like a lot of stuff going on that you, you don't really see here. It's just kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, we can, we can have dinner. That's fine. But it might just be dinner. Right. Right. Which is healthy. That's nice. I mean, you know, obviously depending on the circumstances of what broke them up, but we don't get those. We have to assume it's just changing of desires and wants or, you know, that there's no like underlying abuse there. Um, that's how I move forward with it, especially since Chase, our, our uh, Jeff's father, is kind of the hero later as we get into this. Um, so anyway, the, you know, dinner plans are set. Like Renee goes back to do another take and the most dramatic electrocution of all time happens. Like basically the it's entire so set explodes. I guess a transformer explodes. <sighs> and because um, Renee is kneeling in a puddle of water and holding onto the bars around this, um, this uh, casket, she gets electrocuted and dies. Everyone else seems to survive, but she dies. It's like the longest electrocution <laughs> scene I have ever seen. <laughs> and I think like this is just because like uh, Mary really likes to get in there. Like I feel like yes. she really likes to get up close and personal so she can have these like s sweet practical effects happen. Yes. And it is beautiful. I mean, it really highlights why she is great as a, as a, or why she, was so loved as a music video director and why she was so sought out. Every frame tells the whole story in one snapshot, right? So you don't need a lot of setup time, which allows for these really, I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculously melodramatic in this case, but you really understand um, the gravity of what's happening, you know, without like any dialogue, you don't have any oh, there are a bunch of people underneath that casket and they're getting shocked too and they have to get out. That's why they can't notice that she's, you know, dying above them. So I think it's just, it's really beautiful to look at, even if what's happening is a little goofy. So this tragedy happens to Jeff um, and his father, Chase, who is a vet, very important to have some sort of medical person in these films. Uh, moves both himself and Jeff back to Maine, which is where Renee's from. Um, it's the same neighborhood where the Creeds lived mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just a few years prior, I think, right? Do you get that same kind of sense of time? Yeah, it's um, it's the town of Ludlow. So it's the same town. It's just that in the first movie, we didn't really see the town. You know, we only saw the Creeds house, uh, the university, and... Um, Judd's house and so we we didn't have a sense of that so I feel like th that's part of the thing like it's like is it the same place yeah it is we just never saw the town before right. and in this movie we get to see the town 
and it's a cute town and we're going to get there um, in a few scenes. We'll be talking about my favorite kind of shots of the town. But uh, yeah, so they're in Ludlow. Uh, Jeff is, seems, you know, he's upset. He doesn't want to get rid of his mom's stuff, for example, so he has them move it all across the country, presumably <laughs> from Hollywood, move it all the way to Maine, about as far apart as you can get in the continental U.S., and he mm -hmm. has it all put up in, the, up in the attic. That's okay. Sometimes, you know, grieving takes different forms. Um, but they pretty quickly come into um, an antagonistic situation after Jeff finds some kittens and Chase, his dad, says, yes, you can keep one of the kittens. And pretty much immediately, the sheriff, Gus, and his stepson, Drew, show up and Drew's dog, who's been injured, starts chasing the kittens. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Chaos. <laughs> animal, animal antagonism. Um, but Drew, you know, Drew's sorry. He didn't mean for his dog is just doing what dogs do. Mm -hmm. um, and they, uh, Chase, Dr. Chase, checks out our puppy and everything's going to be okay. Actually, that m moment is really great because the actor picks up, um, picks up the dog just like a vet. And, yeah. and I felt like that, I, he really looked like how the vets just swoop him up there. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that, I would be scared. And go Anthony Edwards. Yes. Uh, for just getting into it. Um, I, I personally love Anthony Edwards, not as much as I love Clancy Brown. I love <laughs> Clancy Brown, but I feel like the fact that they're both in this is really like telling as to why I enjoy this movie <laughs> so much. Totally. But yeah, I do. He scoops him right up and then the dog does like a perfect thing that dogs always do with the vet, which is slips on the <laughs> on yes. the metal table and kind of falls awkwardly. And Anthony Edwards, <laughs> God bless him, is like, oh no, it's okay. I'm like, yeah. Wow. Um, I do want to point out that Clancy Brown, uh, immediately, uh, who's playing, um, what's his name in this movie? Gus Gilbert. <laughs> Gus, Gus Gilbert. He's playing Gus in this film and he's the town sheriff. I, he's almost always in uniform. I don't even think we ever see him out of uniform. No. But, but, uh, he does this super fucking weird thing where he <laughs> leans down towards uh edward furlong and is like you know your mother and i used to be sweethearts Ew, from yeah. homecoming the whole nine yards and i'm like first of all his accent his main accent is flawless but secondly why would you tell this kid this like by the way your mom your dead mom and i used to have sex is essentially yeah. what he's saying and it's so weird and awkward and i kind of love it and furlong does like that classic like eye roll mm -hmm. but it's just such a weird weird thing it's weird and it's actually great and that's a, the this movie we, we we might be kind of lulling because there there's some misses we'll i'll say in this film but that is a hit like wow what an insane choice for that character to make and it tells you everything you need to know Tells you everything you need to know about that person. Sure, it sure does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's definitely like the former homecoming king who's now big time sheriff in this tiny little town and um he is lording it over everybody, you know, but he's also like yeah. jealous and upset that mm -hmm. this beautiful, beautiful Renee, you know, left him there in this small town and went off to to be a Hollywood star. Yes. And that's a perfect segue to the kind of next section that we should talk about. Um, what leads us to learning about the burial ground is um, Edward, oh, no, I'll call him by his character's name. Jeff brings his um, 
his ESA, his cat, his emotional support animal, to school back in a time when you couldn't do that. Yeah. Also, I don't think you can ever take cats um, as what? an ESA just everywhere. So weird. More... So weird. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I vibed it. I was like, yeah, this is an emotional support animal moment. Get it. But also, this is going to cause trouble. And it does because they're a bunch of bullies. And the bullies steal the cat out of Jeff's hands and I ride off with them on their bikes all the way to the pet cemetery, the local pet cemetery. <laughs> this is such a weird scene. Like they all run out there and like grab their bike and like bikes are like falling over and mm -hmm. <laughs> like other kids are like running to their bikes too. And I was like, wait, what is this like a joint situation? Like school's out, everybody hop on their bikes and go with the bullies to the pet yeah. cemetery. Yeah, exactly, because one of the people who goes to the pet cemetery is Drew. Drew, as a reminder, just because there are a lot of names going around, is Gus, the sheriff's stepson, who's a sweet boy. He he turns out not to be a, uh, a bully, so that I don't know why he would engage, other than I think, you know, he wants to make sure the cat makes it back to his owner. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. he's got a good heart. Um the reason that I think it was a good time to move on, though, is that Clyde is clearly a proxy of that generation's Gus, someone who at heart is a bully. Um, and if given the opportunity unchecked to grow into adulthood, they will simply monetize their bulliness into a job, <laughs> uh, a position of power, right? Like that's that type mm -hmm. of character. And so you have the two parallels going, the adult version and the kid version. I do have some questions. Let's hear him. Let's hear him. <laughs> well, first of all, this is Jared Rushton playing the the main bully, and Jared mm -hmm. was the the sweet little kid from Big, you know. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was he was also in like an Overboard and kind of like played a, a bunch of different parts in his kid. So now he's like sort of a, a preteen slash teen. I don't remember if in 1992 it was super awesome to wear like an earring like a cross earring <laughs> yeah. um his style is just so crazy to me because also none of the none of his other group of bully friends dresses like him so he's wearing like a trench coat and like this super long almost like doctor who-esque scarf yeah. Um, and then he's got like the spiky, cool spiky hair. And then he's got like a little cross earring dangling from his um, left earlobe. And I'm like, is this <laughs> like, is this just like small town behind the times? Like maybe he saw Lost Boys and he's just like really into <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. I, I don't know. But I like found it so distracting every time they showed his character because I was like, it's so weird. And also it's not winter. So like, why is he wearing this giant <laughs> scarf? It's very strange because, like, by the time the movie came out, at least, like, he more likely would have been dressed like uh, what the Zoomers are dressed like now, which is scary because they're dressing like oh my God, yeah. Kurt Cobain. And I'm like, y'all weren't even alive, but okay. <laughs> I mean, that's why, though, right? That's exactly yeah. why. It's because yep. it's history to, to anyone who wasn't alive. Um, mm -hmm. No shade, but it is, it's interesting. This is my first journey into seeing things that I already lived through come back, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, it's weird. It's super weird. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so all of that, and those are some valid questions that we may never get answers to, but I do think Mary Lambert will someday want to be on our show, so I, I'm manifesting. Um, yeah, so they learn about 
the legend of the of the pet cemetery. Clyde did not kill the cat, so Jeff's able to retrieve the cat, and everybody's able to kind of go home. Unfortunately for Drew, again, the stepson of the sheriff, unfortunately for Drew, he has to go home to Gus, who shoots his dog Zowie after oh. it disturbs him. Oh, these stupid rabbits, right? So Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Go for, ahead and tell us about for, the rabbits. For some reason we don't we never get to know. Uh the sheriff has pet rabbits. A bajillion or rabbits for food or who knows? Maybe they're just there so he can be mad at the dog. But um yeah, he has he has so many rabbits. And so yeah. the the dog Zowie, you know, rightfully so, is like, yeah, food, and tries to get the rabbits. And so, yes, yeah. uh, Sheriff Gus shoots the dog and kills it. And it's so sad. It's such a sad little scene. It is. Yeah, because um, Drew follows his dog out into the woods, and the dog is dying, not dead yet. And they sit together under a tree. And that's, Yeah. It's so good. And like, you know, it really touches your heartstrings. Um, But of course, we all know what this means is there we now have a dead pet on our hands in Ludlow, Maine. And so Drew, who is making a tenuous connection with Jeff, asks Jeff if he will help him bury the dog. Um, And Jeff is a good guy and has recently gone through trauma, obviously losing his mom. So he agrees. Um, But... What Jeff doesn't know, because he's new to town, is that there is another burial ground beyond the pet cemetery um, that is a native burial ground, which mm-hmm. is just like, I mean, it's even hard to talk about now because it's like, that's such a tired <laughs> and not sensitive concept that I actually, though, I would love to see a native writer take on that concept. Someone like Stephen Graham Jones, I think it would be really interesting. Um I'm obsessed with Stephen Graham Jones, by the way. If you haven't read his <laughs> books, read them. Anyway, so they go to the native burial ground, and Drew kind of half explains, like, yeah, you bury your own here, and sometimes they come back, and I just want to, like, like, why not try it? Which is, to me, the logic of why they bury Zowie, that's the name of the dog, in the burial ground actually makes more sense and feels more realistic than the original to me. The original yeah. is classic, but it's kind of odd you know yeah i can see that i mean it does it does make more sense for um this kid who i mean apparently because you you have to sort of stretch again they sort of drop little hints but they never really explain it but it seems like the tale of the creeds has become sort of like an urban legend in this town where it's like the people that live there know what really happened and what really happened is you know lewis went mad and kept burying his family members in this, right. this burial ground beyond the pet cemetery to bring them back and and, and uh, everything turned out awful and they all died but yep. um it does make more sense uh i hear you for for two preteen boys to believe like oh well my dog's dead and i can bring it back without really thinking about what the consequences of that might be despite having an example of what the consequences might be because i think like you know when you're a um 
when you're that age, like one, you feel invincible. Two, you don't really believe everything is real or that there are going to be consequences to things. And even if you do believe that, you kind of think it's not going to be you who has to <laughs> suffer those consequences. Yeah. So yeah, so it, it does make sense to me, although it is a little odd. He's just like, they go to the pet cemetery with Zowie um, and you know, uh, I'm just going to continue to call him Edward for a long. No, Jeff, uh, <laughs> Jeff is like, so we're going to bury him here. And Drew's like, nope, uh, we're going to bury him back there. It's somewhere back there. And I'm like, wait, you should probably have a clear idea of right. where you're going. But yeah, okay, cool, kid. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and even more specifically, um, not the Creed example, like or, or Lewis example uh, of, of what happens at the end of the first film but like specifically this initial travel to the native burial ground in parallel to Judd who is a great character and I love the scene Judd just randomly being like well I know that this is a bad idea and I'm not going to ever completely explain why I'm going to take you here or why I think it's a good idea but this one particular cat deserves to try to relive and maybe it'll work out like that is a lot of logical gymnastics honestly um and yeah the the kids doing it just makes a little bit more sense obviously love judd love the first movie but this makes a lot of sense so anyway jeff and drew bury uh zowie in the native burial ground and at the end of that scene there is an gorgeous helicopter shot um that just took my breath away I and mean, it's just another excellent example of of mary just knowing exactly which angle exactly the tempo um, it pulls back from the duo of, of boys and goes all, I mean, just like a huge, I, it's kind of a repeat of the first film. They have a big helicopter shot like that as well. Um, but it's, it's just, ah, chef's kiss. So great, wonderful. We know that bad things are about to happen. And of course they do. Zowie comes back but he's very mean and his gunshot wound keeps oozing. He won't heal. Um, and as we find out when Drew takes Sally to Dr. Chase, Sally has no heartbeat. <laughs> Obviously, Dr. Chase being a man of science, he explains it all away, but they're not going to be able to explain it away when they take his blood to the lab. Yeah. It's interesting to me also that he looks like a completely different dog almost. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I know some of that is um the puppetry work that that comes in, you know, like maybe they just couldn't fabricate a dog that looks exactly like that, but I don't right. know what they did to the original dog to like I, I think know. they just slathered him in a lot of dirt and mud and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little appliance to make it look like his hair is falling off. You know, around yeah. the wound, but yeah, the wound's yeah. pretty gnarly, though. I gotta say, like, yeah, it, it's um the practical effects in this are are tight. I mean, I was like, Ugh, like yeah. every time something happened. Yeah, so. it's great. Oh, and I this is completely not related to the story, and many of our listeners won't care. But when Zowie first comes back, and like just that whole sequence starts with Drew in his room. There's a poster in his room that says Seafair. I don't know why. And I oh. doubt it's our seafair, but I wrote it down. I was like, seafair ah. poster? Interesting. I did not uh, notice that. I, I don't think I was paying that close of attention. <laughs> um, for anyone who's not from Seattle, which is where Amy and I are from, 
uh, Seafair is this big event where boats go toot toot on our lake and it's <laughs> massively disruptive to the city, but also a lot of people find it very important to them. So Yeah, yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a whole big thing, and it's been going on for many, many, many years. Um, yeah, my, uh, my grandmother and grandfather, my paternal grandmother and grandfather actually used to participate every year because they owned a marina, and uh, she was Seafair Queen for... Number of years, so cool. Congrats! It's a whole, it's a whole big deal that I don't particularly care about, even no. though my family used to be involved in it. But, um, I do want to mention something r- related to Pet Cemetery that we didn't quite touch on, and that is the housekeeper. Oh because, yes, please, <laughs> because she shows up um, almost immediately uh, when Drew and Chase move into Ludlow, and. I don't know why anybody would think it's a good idea to hire a housekeeper who's obsessed with your dead wife. <laughs> but yeah, he does. And there's this weird moment where, you know, because she's a she's a young, attractive woman. And when she shows up, <laughs> Chase actually like gives her like the up and down and says, you look different than you sounded, which I'm like, I, I'm sorry. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> she just sounds like a regular woman um i don't know what you're thinking but so i feel like they probably were setting up to have some kind of romance happen but it never actually happens but i also think like the moment that she comes in and is like oh are those your wife's dresses and starts getting all weird would be the moment where you'd be like yeah we're gonna hire somebody else bye right (laughs) yeah yeah you're right thank you for bringing her up because she does show up right away she then disappears and then she comes back at the end as if we're supposed to be, like, invested in her. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is just, like, again, lots of storylines, maybe not cut together exactly the way um, that's the most effective for every character. But, yeah, yeah, it seems like someone you'd want to avoid, at least just at first. But... Yeah, and she she looks a lot like the woman who plays Renee, actually, to me. Like, they yeah. look kind of similar and so there's an icky underlayer of that and maybe you know maybe there was like a some kind of storyline that got left on the cutting room floor where um drew and this woman get this woman whose name i don't remember get together um because there is at one point like uh jeff does say to her like you're not my mom and so i wonder if like they did hook up and we just didn't get to see it but then also that's super creepy to like hook up with somebody who looks like you're not only looks like your dead wife but worships your dead wife yeah yeah it is the worshiping part i think is creepier i mean they're both creepy but it's i will not name the celebrity but there's at least one celebrity who um yeah they've had multiple wives which is chill like they seem like an okay person but they all look like the same woman Uh, offline i'll say who that is um so i think they're uh, they're the some people do have a strong type and they just that's what they're doing i don't Mm -hmm. know how to like unpack that but so anyway that just reminded me of a real person yes absolutely so while all this is going on there is a renee worshiping housekeeper who i her character's name is marjorie hargrove Oh, Marjorie. Yeah, I don't know if they, maybe they say it once at the beginning. (laughs) Probably. Okay, so what's happening? Zowie's back alive. Dr. Chase is like, I just can't find the heartbeat. Lol, we'll figure this out. 
Um, however, oh, there's a vet ambulance in this town. Lots of things are going on. Um, but suddenly, it's Halloween night. And if you know me, and I mean, Amy's the same, but if you know me, I am, I am a queen of Halloween. Every day is Halloween. And if you slap some pumpkins and dusk into a nice, like, small town street, I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna flip out of my seat, scream into the splits, and, like, bow down. And they do that in this film. And I did as well. <laughs> It's true. I love it too. And I love um, Drew's old school Dracula costume. It's like so right on. It's great as compared to Jeff's just like, oh, let's um, we'll slap a Jason-esque costume on him. He can be Jason Voorhees. Yeah, sure. Whatever. (laughs) But I did love it though. I was like, oh yeah. I mean, you know, I remember many, many a, a, a hockey mask in the early 90s on Halloween nights, you know? Yeah, still... I mean, it's an easy, easy to put together costume, so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they are going out for, for trick-or-treating. Everyone's trick-or-treating. Um, Gus wanted Drew to be grounded, however, because of the whole staying out while your dog dies slowly. Um, I guess that was, you know, he wasn't obeying the rules. He was supposed to be home. So he's supposed to be grounded, but Drew's mom allows him to go out. Um, oh, yeah. For the night. It's, be- it's because he said that his dog died and he buried him and then Zowie showed up and so his mom uh mm-hmm. his mom and Gus think he lied. Right. And you know, to make to make Gus feel bad, which is like I mean you should just feel bad anyway, but Yeah, you're an adult. Get over <laughs> it. You're shooting the dog. Yeah. Oh, you made me feel bad. Actually, honestly, that is a thing that happens with toxic parents. And I hate it. <laughs> yeah, you know, true, true. Getting punished because they feel bad. Um, so great, love it. Um, so what what these preteen boys do? I guess teen, teen, young teen boys do is they don't go trick or treating. They go to the pet cemetery to tell ghost stories. Which actually, that's a vibe. I like that they go yeah. to the pet cemetery. If we had one, I'd do that too. And I guess where else are you going to go in Ludlow? I mean, it's you know. It's a pretty yeah. small town, so Pet Cemetery seems like a good bet. Mm-hmm. It is a weird freaking ghost story, though. <laughs> yes, t- say more. Well, they talk about the creeds, um, and then, of course, um, Bully, it's Clive, right? Clyde. Clyde. Clyde, yeah. sorry. Clyde, which is also kind of a weird name, but um, Clyde has to bring Jeff's mom into it because of you know, of course. So, um, oh yeah, I forget. So when they first get there, there's like this whole thing where Jeff imagines his dead mom floating towards him. But as it oh, turns yeah. out, it's like this very poorly put together, <laughs> like <laughs> mannequin mm-hmm. that Clyde rigged up to fly towards him. Um, and so they all laugh at him. Um, but after he tells a story about the creeds and, you know, the whole everything, like Lewis, everything, the wife, the whole thing he interjects and says something about um his jeff's mom showing up and he says this really weird line like she could be here right now we wouldn't even recognize her not if she was wearing a costume and i'm like what how what yeah, where, how did you get to that conclusion it's bizarre 
it's such a weird thing, you know, and it's obviously like he's trying to push um, Jeff's buttons and, and cause them to fight, which of course right. happens. But but I will let you take it from here. Not before somebody else shows up. Yes. Well, uh, I guess so. Gus, Sheriff Gus runs out of cigarettes. If I'm actually catch if I caught the right motivators here, he was at the sheriff station giving out candy, um, you know, doing some copaganda. Um, and he, (laughs) 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 thank you. And so he goes home when he's not expected. And so, um, his girlfriend, wife, Drew's mom is like, Oh, hello. (laughs) And she tries to kind of distract him by being, you know, sexy, uh, or just inviting to him, hugging him, kissing him when he asks where Drew is, which of course is suspicious. Um, and you know, she says he's in his room, so he checks and of course he's not there and he gets mad and he has some sort of like, you want me to be a father to him? Well, bullshit line. Um, the worst, the worst. And so of course he heads off to both humiliate and further traumatize his stepson Drew. So he does, he shows up at the pet cemetery. Um, now to be fair, I'll give, I'll give the, not, I won't give Gus shit, but I would give an adult um some credit if they came and broke it up because they do have like a fire and stuff and like i'm i don't trust these 90s kids to like have done enough um camping (laughs) to be doing this safely yeah so i'll i'll give them that maybe they should have had some you know at least someone should have known they were there anyway gus shows up he everybody starts running to, to they just take off in different directions everyone's trying to get away um but instead of just like breaking it up and grabbing his stepson and, and heading home, he basically attacks Drew. He's about to hit him with a gravestone, like kill him, probably, or yeah. you know, there's a chance he could die. Mm-hmm. Um, when Zowie shows up and says, nah, and yeah. mauls Gus until he dies. That's a great, it's a great scene, the, the way that Zowie just rips his throat out mm-hmm. and then they show you the aftermath. Yeah, it looks great. It looks great. And yeah, it's, it's again, another great scene that Mary just like knows how to get her coverage. She knows how to show, um, convey chaos with her cuts. I, I mean, I know she didn't edit this, um, but, you know, director is always involved or hopefully involved. It's great. Here's the thing. I get that Gus has a lot of power in the town, but uh, my stepdad was very angry and almost killed me and 20 little boys are, can be witnesses. Seems like enough of, a, of an alibi to just go tell an adult what happened. But of <laughs> you course. Would, you would assume so, yes. Yeah. You put a, I mean, at the very least, having Jeff there and Jeff's dad being, you know, now a respected member of the town as the vet, there'd be enough corroboration that they wouldn't, quote unquote, get in trouble. Also, if you could test the wound. It's clear that a dog bit him. Like, it's okay. Nobody's getting in trouble here. Any, like, legal trouble. I mean, I also get the sense that maybe, um, uh, Drew didn't want his mom to be upset. And so this is maybe why you drag your evil stepdad to the pet cemetery beyond the pet cemetery. Right. I don't know. 
they make bad decisions. We'll, we'll, we'll just yeah, leave it. They, did. they make bad decisions because of plot, and that's just how it is. So anyway, Drew and, yep, Drew and Jeff drag Gus to the native cemetery beyond and bury him um, so that he will come back, and he does. Um, as opposed to in the first film, where the people and animals coming back are a cat and then a baby, um, and then just at the end an adult, we don't really get the sense in the first film of what it's like to see a resurrected, you know, full-grown adult um, until this film. And the result is freaking weird. Um, he's stumbly, he's kind of oozy, um, but he, over time he starts becoming like himself kind of again, but much nicer, much nicer in some ways. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. He starts, like, he kills all of his rabbits. He's very sadistic, um, but but he's sadistic toward um, people who, who who kind of have a, an axe to grind with Drew and Jeff at first. By the way, um, L7's shit list playing as Clancy Brown skins these rabbits fucking sent me, like... I yeah. Like, what is happening? I don't remember this, but oh, it's so good. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, first of all, because Clancy Brown is like 95% of why I love this movie, because mm -hmm. when he comes back, he owns it. Like, he is into the crazy, like, laughter and really knows how to work those facial expressions. Oh, yeah. Um, but do we want to talk about the icky scene with the with the mom when he comes oh sure back. yeah 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 um go ahead if you if you have a way you want to start but it, it's basically that delightful thing that we did back in the day where to jump start the next set of actions we rape someone yay mm, yeah it's um uh it's a hard it's hard to watch it doesn't go on for a long amount of time but it is brutal and it's awful you, do see the aftermath you do see bruises all over um the mom's arms and it's yeah it's like and i do also think like this is like 1992 and so like the politics of the time would just be like oh well people will just assume that he's a monster now he was a monster before right but now he's right. like a literal monster and so like it's not they're not trying to say anything but i'm like man this is like a whole layer of like domestic abuse yeah <laughs> that could be talked about but it kind of gets pushed aside just because of the time and i don't think like anybody ever talked about it when this movie came out right because and that's because i don't and i'm making assumptions here but i don't think um their intentions with including this kind of violence were sincere in so far as like hey this is a real thing and this is a real aspect of guys like this and especially now that he's like at his most sadistic you know this is a thing and we're going to explore it it was it's literally shorthand you know um rape yeah. is a plot point as a way to change the character a set of characters um viewpoints about another character it's lazy um but it's what we did and you know plenty of films still do um, yeah and, and i think like also yeah you're right this is exactly like the purpose of this scene, misguided as it was, I think was so that the mom would believe Drew later, you know, when he right. comes to her and, and in distress. And so she can be like, oh, 
like, yes, obviously something has tipped Gus from toxic masculine asshole all the way over to, like, murderous, dangerous psycho. Right. Which, you know, he was always on his way to being. Just to be clear, because I don't think we really explained the scene, uh, Gus has come back. He's got big, dead heat, maniac cop, doctor and reanimator vibes, (laughs) you know, Um, as he... (laughs) Major. Um, And he is going to try to staunch his wound in his neck and he has the shower on but he's going to wrap the wound up before getting in the shower i'm not sure this is none of it makes sense but that's okay um because i guess you know he's undead and she tells him to come to bed and once and then he just immediately is like great now i will be a rape monster um and that's really the 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 whole the long and the short of the scene that's it um but of course you have to live through it and you have to watch it so you know, and it kind of kicks off this uh, almost montage of Gus being sadistic, killing the rabbits. Um, it goes to a dinner scene where he's like just eating with his hands and showing the food in his mouth, doing a seafood moment. Um, yeah, just blech. But, you know, that's, that's their choice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And on the upside, like I mentioned, like Clancy Brown knows exactly what movie he's in here. Yes. And he is playing to that and it works perfectly. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, he does a great job. So back to the plot. Back at the veterinary clinic, Dr. Chase is literally eating dog bones on the phone while he learns that Zowie is, or the blood that he sent to his vet friends was from a dead animal. Even though he insists, you know, hey, it was from this dog that is alive. Hey, it's nice to see him again, by the way. He disappeared for, like, <laughs> most of the movie. We're like, yeah. I'm like, wait, what, father, son, what's happening? Uh, there's even, like, a scene a little later where, like, the housekeeper mentions, like, where, where's Jeff? And uh, Chase is like, oh, yeah, I, I haven't talked to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're doing their own things, that's for sure. Um, and it's lovely to see him. Yes. So he, uh, there's some like little connective tissue where a woman's like, Hey, do you still have some kitties? And he's like, yeah, totally go to the back. I'm not helping you, um, do it on your own. And then they scream and he runs back and it turns out that Zowie, who has been safely locked in a cage, somehow used his two front paws to pull all of the bars on his cage (laughs) to either side. It does, it does not look like he burst through. It doesn't look like he used his nose. It looks oh like he used his two front paws to pull the bars to either side, escape, kill the kittens, and you know, run off into the night. Yeah, that is another... I feel like that's another scene that's specifically constructed to just be gory because yeah. they don't even look like they could have been kittens and they're no. like half bodies everywhere and just carnage and it's super gross and Lambert shows it like a couple of times but it also just like when you're looking at it it doesn't visually make sense that that was that that was kittens (laughs) yeah yeah but which you know I mean it has a love I mean that's a gore of its own right he he mauled them into oblivion but yeah it, it, it doesn't quite work um yeah so this kind of sets off a small sequence that feels too long of Dr. Chase going home and being like, oh God, this dog is making the leap to 
this dog is undead and scary, or maybe he doesn't believe he's undead, but he definitely believes the dog is, is violent. Um, yeah, this is actually where the movie um, g g kind of breaks apart for me because yeah. what we've got three parallel stories or two parallel stories ish three if you bring marjorie back in now yeah it gets clunky it gets clunky because now we're at the part of the movie where um dr chase is doing his own discovery about what might be happening right with the pet cemetery while simultaneously drew and jeff are dealing with undead <laughs> stepdad gus yeah. Exactly. Who is becoming increasingly more violent. Yes. Um, yes. Very unpredictable. The, the two parts don't seem like they're, like, it seems like it takes them a long time to diverge, I guess is what yeah. I would say. Yeah. And the Dr. Chase thing is a, is a dead end, except that he has to, We, as a writer, you know, he needs to, by the end, believe in the concept of reanimation via spiritual burial and um and like he needs to believe that fully so there i'll just t touch on his thing because it's honestly not that interesting except for the um the puppets and the stuffed pug um but so dr chase finds that there's an uh, another vet taxidermist couldn't tell you who has worked in the town and will have information about this whole situation with the with zowie he goes to see the guy the guy is literally sewing up a stuffed pug um, like a taxidermy pug, which I, I thought was great because it's just sitting upside down with its legs straight in the air during this whole weird scene where he says, yeah, you should just leave town because something spooky is afoot. But I'm not going to tell you what it is because you have to, to figure it out on your own type deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's so whatever. weird. Yeah, Jeff arrives at this ex- veterinarian who is now a taxidermist um mm -hmm. who's talking to his <laughs> taxidermist <laughs> you'd look better with blue eyes hmm. okay um uh yeah and so like he knows that this vet discovered that the creed's cat church was dead but it's I, i'm not sure that the scene adds anything like i guess no. it's just jeff confirming what he already knew Mm, I don't yeah, know. It's, yeah, it's just like, it's a, a great excuse for Dr. Trace to be like, oh, somebody else believes something fishy's going on. But yeah, it definitely doesn't do much. But it's basically his last big sequence before the end. Um, much more entertaining, but no less baffling. What's happening with the rest of our team is um, we kind of just cut to riding bikes on the road. Jeff is riding his bike. Clyde is riding his moped. Clyde sees Jeff going in the other direction and goes, hmm, oh yeah, I haven't tortured this child recently. Mm -hmm. um, and so he chases him down. Also, Drew is somewhere and sees something and is behind, so he's trying to catch up on his bike to, to protect his friend. Clyde knocks Jeff down um, an embankment. He follows him down. He he's punches him or, you know, he roughs him up a bit and basically says, I'm going to stick your nose in the wheels, uh, spokes of this bicycle wheel, and it's going to rip your nose off at the least, and at the best, maybe it'll kill you. But what Chase, uh, no, Clyde doesn't know is that evil undead Gus is coming up behind him. Yeah. 
he somehow just emerges from the woods. Yeah. Because they're just... down an embankment. Like, Clyde pushes uh, Jeff and his bike off of this giant embankment and then somehow smoothly rides his moped down the same very steep embankment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's so, it's such a, I mean, I like it, but it's also just like, where did he come from? What was he doing down there? Yeah. I'm yeah. so, what's happening? Exactly. Yeah. Why are we, why are we doing this? It's just like more of the same with the bully. But anyway, the undead Gus is walking up to him. And of course, as an audience member, your tension is rising because undead Gus is, is evil and sadistic. Um, so our hero must be really in trouble. But fortunately for Jeff, undead Gus um, decides that he's just going to kill the bully and save uh, Jeff. So <laughs> that's cool. I do and like so, this scene, though. I like it I because it, it's almost like an accident. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. he's like it's I, I do feel like there's something there, although, of course. And this is something I complained about in the remake and there's another piece to this later on but um he is sort of this character gus's character is sort of breaking the idea of what happens when you come back from the from the pet cemetery mm -hmm. so it's like uh it's like this action this thing that he does with clyde is the thing that tips him from protecting some people into just wanting to murder everybody and so right again i think clancy plays it perfectly right where he's mm -hmm. like torturing this kid the same exact way that he was intending to torture jeff and then <laughs> the bike slips and just <laughs> ruins his head and mm -hmm. once it slips and the blood splatters on um on Gus's face, he just goes for it. He's just like, yeah, well, oops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, yeah, things get very confused and they, they definitely mapped that over to the remake where it's like, what is the motivation here? Sadism, mm -hmm. obviously, and it seems to ramp up with every undead character, but like the whole, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, Gus, does what to Clyde, what Clyde threatened to do to Jeff after sending Jeff off. Gus says, Jeff, go home. And Jeff's like, <laughs> actually, fine. I don't want to be here with your undeadness and nearly getting my nose ripped off. Um, so then Gus is like, well, that is a great idea, though. I'd love to see a head explode. So he uses Clyde's motorcycle to just explode the young boy's head. <laughs> and it's, gore. I mean, it's great gore. It's glorious. It is. It's a really, uh, it's a, I, I don't, oh, you know what I mean. It's a fun scene, which I'm sure, yeah. you know, people are like, what do you mean fun? But it hey, is, look you know. Look at the title. I love splatter. <laughs> That's what the we body, do. The, uh, the, the practical effects are great. And I mean, you know, it's the bully getting his comeuppance. Like, exactly. He was going to kill the other, he straight up was probably going to kill Jeff. I mean, there's no question. <laughs> That if he wasn't going to kill him, he was at least going to seriously hurt him. And so um, it is fun, I guess, to see one bully giving another bully exactly what he deserves. Um, yeah. In addition to it being very splattery uh, and just like a sweet, uh, juicy, juicy is a good word, special effects thing. Thanks, Greg yeah. Nicotero. Yes, You're thanks, killing Greg. It. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> um, but... 
things are um, never that simple. And Gus's moment of uh, orgasmic murder is is kind of lessened or made more complicated because he turns and he sees that his um, stepson has witnessed it. He's witnessed the murder. So now he has to kill his stepson. Or it, se it seems like his intention. So Gus starts to pursue Drew. Um, Drew runs to his house, but then he gets trapped by Zowie, who is now so evil he's even coming for Drew, right? So this escalation of violence and sadism and evilness seems to continue and only get worse the longer you have been resurrected. So Drew escapes through the window um, and his mom is just coming home and he's like, we gotta get out of here. We gotta run. There's a lot of evil on our tail. Um, and so the mom agrees. So they take off in the car and we have a car chase. This movie has this movie has everything. Car it does have everything. <laughs> Undead uh, burial grounds. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Gus chases them with his car, with his police car, and he is kind of you know it's kind of a parallel of what we just saw, right? So there is that. I do mm -hmm. like that um, parallel. Is we had Clyde the bully on his moped trying to push Jeff into the ditch to kill him. Now we have Gus, the adult version of a bully, trying to run a car off the road. Um, but he sees a, a better opportunity. There is a potato truck coming, and so he runs them directly <laughs> into the potato truck, and it, boom, huge explosion. Well, not really, but, you know, they, they smash into each other, and poor Drew and his mother are um, dead, by potato. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what the thought process was there to have it be a potato truck. Like, I'm really <laughs> curious why this, like, as opposed to having it be a gas truck where there would be a huge explosion or, you know, yeah. I don't know anything else, but it's such a weird, like, what inside joke is in this movie, either in the screenplay or in mm -hmm. the thought process of the people making the film where they're like, you know, it'd be great let's have a potato truck with just like tons of potatoes. And then when the car crashes, all the potatoes can just fall all over the car. And there'll be like a bloody leg sticking out of this potato. Mound. Yeah. <laughs> just even saying it is making me laugh. And then Mary, God bless her, takes it even one step further by having a single potato get smashed by the tire yeah. of the sheriff's car as he peels out away from the scene. <laughs> This is when I wrote down in my notes that the tone of this movie is so fucking strange. And I, that's a compliment, but it is. It's very strange. It's wild, as as I've picked up from you. It's wild. It's, it's wild. a wild, wild story. Yeah, and I just think for me, I'm always going to be baffled and not necessarily turned off, but baffled when the move is to make your villain both very visible and vocal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating to me. I mean, it works for a lot of the times. It works in Reanimator. It works in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. It works in, uh, you know, it works. But it's it's always baffling to me because they, you run the risk of them being kind of goofy. And in mm -hmm. some moments, Gus is kind of goofy. Um, dangerous, He's but goofy. He's definitely goofy and, you know, again, like, because uh, I'm always thinking about this stuff, but, like, I wonder if, like, Mary was a big Highlander fan and she was just like, you know what, we got to yeah. get Clancy Brown. 
yeah for this because he'll be perfect because a lot of the expectations that he makes a lot of the um the way he laughs in particular is very kurgan like and so yeah. i feel like you know that there's something to that but i mean also like i get it like i, I am obsessed with clancy brown and yeah i love him so much and so i mean i think he's the perfect choice but yeah it is totally. it's interesting again that they're breaking the sort of the mold of what happens to people who are buried and come back um and it is interesting like you said that he has so much screen time and he has so much dialogue and um so much time is spent Mm -hmm. on him you know more so even than on chase or jeff like i feel like if we added up the minutes of screen time clancy brown probably has the most truly for sure and it's and he's he's great he's absolutely great at it there's it's definitely his type you know he has many types that he can pull off but this kind of like yeah over self-important um kind lightly charming bad guy um who's also very scary very chilling he nails it nails it um, but yeah, the tone is still strange to have him be so front and center, um, makes a lot of sense cause he's so talented, but bizarre from just like a, is he scary? Is the character scary perspective? If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, so we're in the home stretch here, um, because of reasons that are evil, <laughs> Gus takes Clyde and buries him, uh, presumably at, in the native burial ground. Yeah. I'm <laughs> sighing. I'm sighing because this is exactly what I complained about in the last episode at the end when we were talking about this Pet Cemetery remake. Right. That it doesn't make any particular sense. Nope. For somebody who's been resurrected to take other people to the cemetery and bury them for the purpose of what? But (laughs) I think maybe it makes a little more sense in this story than it did in the remake because I could see how Gus's, evil Gus's motivations would be to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I think they have to do it in this one in order to have this final confrontation between Jeff and somebody who's like comparable, you know, like right. they're not going to have him do it with his mom. So they, they need him to fight something. And so they have to bring back the bully. But, right. but it's still, I was like, I, when that happened, I was like, Oh no, I don't remember mm-hmm. this at all. And this is exactly the, the exact thing that bothered me about the remake. Exactly. And now I'm like, Oh, okay. I see the precedent. Why, why they might, what a reason they might have put it in their remake. Cause there was, there's precedent there, but I mean, you're right. It's totally for plot. It's totally so that by the end of the movie, Jeff can um, battle all of the demons that have been set up, all of the obstacles that have been set up to him being a whole person. Right. So they had to bring him back, but it, there's a lot of holes. It doesn't really make any sense motivation wise. And there is an easy way to fix it. And this podcast is not about bringing our own ideas in, but mine <laughs> I'm going to share is that it's all could have been fixed. If you reveal around this time that Clyde is also Gus's child because you have to bury your own. Ooh. So what in the hell is Gus doing burying this kid? That's just a, a, a part of the, of the city. He has Man. to be his own. 
It's Adrian, you just blew my mind. I didn't even think about that. But you're totally right. <laughs> there is a rule. And Gus even tells Jeff this rule, this specific rule later. Mm-hmm. And so, um, wow. Maybe it, it is, you know? Because, maybe. like, it does, it definitely feels like Gus has gone around town. And, like, he, sure. you know, uh, he probably would have happily impregnated any of the ladies uh, yeah. willing to be with him. But, yeah, oh, man, that's a good one. I like that. I, I think that has to be it. Or at least I wish they would have, like, incorporated that more. Thank you. Thank you for liking my idea. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Anyway, we then take time as th- this film is presumably um, ramping up to its final <laughs> conclusion. So we have to take time to go to another funeral. Um, <laughs> yes. But it's fair because it is his friend, his only friend in ta- town, presumably. Yeah. Drew um, and his mother. Uh, who, you know, were hit by the potato truck. This trauma, uh, another trauma, I, and I can't imagine, honestly, in real life, if all of this was hitting you in this time, you would be, you'd be so traumatized. Um, but Jeff kind of loses it. Yeah, it breaks him, for sure. It breaks him, and he decides, I'm going to bring my mom back. I need my mom. I can't do this without my mom. Um, so Gus, for evil reasons, goes and digs up Renee's body for Jeff, for some mm-hmm. reason. And he's like, yeah, 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 you should definitely, you know, bring her back. Um, (laughs) And that's kind of goes, we don't, we cut there so that we don't have to see much, you know, he's like, hey, you got to bury your own, bury your mom. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah, I I do love, there is this this setup uh, before that where he is, I, I feel like this is, Edward Furlong's strongest moment in the movie is that he's set up the attic to look like his mother's dressing room, right? And so yes, and that's he's beautiful gotten set. it's gorgeous. It's just like again, like oh my god, I feel like Mary Lambert works with the best set people ever because the sets are always amazing. Yes. And so like he's got her dress out on this mannequin, and he's got this um, vanity table set up with like makeup and a hairbrush you know and he's got like candles everywhere and it's very lovely and he's even dressed up in like a little Mm -hmm. suit and I feel like there is something like really endearing about the way that he's he's obviously like broken his mind has fractured and so but he's very much like you know his his dad arrives and he's like I'm getting this ready for mom you know and Mm -hmm. um which is also interesting because we mentioned earlier that apparently Chase has not seen his son for quite some time. Yeah. And so he just arrives in the attic to find this happening, to find that his son has tipped over the edge and has set up this whole thing for his dead mom. And um, But there's like this sweet, like as, um, as Chase is leaving him up there, whatever uh Mm -hmm. he kind of like curls up in a little ball on this like chaise lounge and just has this dreamy look on his face and i'm like that's it right like furlong is like working this scene and it's yeah it's beautiful um but yeah so like for whatever reason right at this moment chase is like you know what i know my son is in a bad place i'm gonna leave and i'm gonna leave him with this housekeeper yeah yeah, and, and he does. He's like, we watch him. Don't let him leave. And she's like, sure. And then promptly falls asleep on the couch. <laughs> yeah. 
Looking gorgeous, by the way. It's a beautiful yeah. shot. It's like a classic shot of like a sleeping babysitter while the kid sneaks out. And she's just a beautiful, beautiful woman. Like, um, but yeah, in terms of like doing her job, she didn't. Also, though, like, don't let him leave. Like, he's a teenager and I'm just a housekeeper. Like, if he really wants to leave, I don't know what I'm like, what am I really supposed to do? Anyway. Um, yes. Yeah, so the, I, I kind of got ahead of myself. Where we're going is that Gus, you know, gives the, his, the body of Jeff's mother to Jeff and says barrier. But that mm-hmm. happens after he sneaks out. What? Yeah. Little Jeff is acting weird. He's dancing around the, the attic, like being like, mom is coming back. Um, <laughs> Dr. Chase says, yo, I'm going to leave because I got to check some stuff out. Um, and what he, what he finds out is that his wife's body has been exhumed and it's not just, and this is another very specific thing that you can tell they did because they're like, we gotta, we gotta just like seal the deal that Dr. Chase understands that this is a real thing. We need to cut to the chase. We had lots of time, but we just kind of used it repeating the same, like, Hmm, could it be? So instead (laughs) of saying like someone took your wife's body, they very specifically say, Sheriff Gus exhumed your mm-hmm. wife's corpse. Yeah. That is the like whoop that is the it ties it all together. Now he has to believe that something weird is going on. And they follow it up with I haven't seen anything this strange happen since Lewis Creed exhumed his dead son. Just yep. in case you forgot about the first movie. They just gotta interject that in there. Exactly. Exactly. So now Dr. Chase understands and he must rush home. Um, You know, he has to understand what's going on. Meanwhile, Gus and Jeff have buried Renee and brought her back to life. Smash cut to a character we haven't seen, nor do we really care about, which is Marjorie, the housekeeper who's obsessed with the late actress Renee. She goes up into Jeff's creeper attic room and dresses in all of Renee's clothes and dresses up just like her um, for reasons. I don't know. I honestly don't know, except that if I guess they want it to have this moment where Renee, um, you know, now reanimated has a moment with a potential usurper to her position, yeah. I guess. Well, it's like, you know, it's that old, like, she wants her and she wants to be her, you know, so, um, but yeah, I do think, like, this is definitely, like, uh, there's a couple reasons for um, housekeeper slash possible romantic partner (laughs) to appear. Right. And, you know, one of them is so that uh, reanimated Renee can murder her. And then the other is, I do like this part, um... Mm-hmm. I'll I'll let you reveal this, but there's like an, another reason why she's dressed up like Renee and um, and there in this space at this time. Yes, um, yes. Okay, I'm trying. I'm like looking at my notes and nothing makes sense anymore. <laughs> um, they are um, Marjorie's dressed up. She's looking gorgeous. This is all a very music video section of um, of the film. Um, 100% yeah and she looks in the mirror right Mm -hmm. I'm actually not remembering how it all goes down Amy I might need an assist (laughs) yeah she's admiring herself in the mirror because she looks so much like Renee Um, I I swear to god 
Like, I feel like her hair was blonde before this scene, but somehow it's now red. And I don't know if they're trying to imply that she put a wig on mm. or if if that was just like a gaffe that we weren't supposed to recognize. Sure. Um, but yeah, so Renee shows up and I can't remember what funny quip she makes before she murders uh, Marjorie. But right. She smashes the mirror when she arrives and I'm, you know, I'm like, great. She probably looks super gnarly. Mm -hmm. So she smashes the mirror, takes a piece of the mirror, and then you don't see what happens. You just hear Marjorie screaming, which is great. I fucking love it when they do shit like that because it's just like leaves the mystery. Um, But yeah, so when uh, when Chase arrives Mm -hmm. back to the attic, I don't even remember... Where does he go? He goes. Where does I, he go? <laughs> I think the last I, I, the last I remember of him is when he learns that his, the corpse has been exhumed. So it's like a whole day before, right? Like because they would have needed. I, so who knows? Is the answer? I guess he just goes to see the open grave and prove that his wife is dead. Yeah, oh, I guess. Yeah, he does. He does. I'm remembering. See, sorry, sorry, listeners, see, but this is. The problem with this film is it's just all over the place. And so, like, trying to remember it, even though I just watched it yesterday, it's like, what? No, no. He goes to look at the grave and confirm that his um, dead wife's body is gone. And then he goes back to his vet's office to get the gun that he keeps there, I guess. That's it. Um, And while he's doing this, Zowie jumps up at him and mangles him, like, totally mangles his arm and... and, um, and then he has a big fight with Gus, right? I think that's where mm-hmm. this happens. So yeah. for, so we're suddenly, Chase is suddenly thrust back into the storyline and he gets his whole own scene where he's fighting evil Gus and it's pretty gnarly. Like there's a drill involved and, um, yes. y- you know, like good. Clancy's just like working it. And so, yeah, that happens. It's a beautiful, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, for yeah. some reason... Um, Gus is like somewhere for some reason <laughs> Gus is somewhere and it is maybe Jud- Judd's house though I know we see it at some point maybe it's not mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't matter but the set here is like pure hell fire kitchen you know like domestic home in hell and it's beautiful like there's an, a fire happening in the oven blood is everywhere the like lights are full, like hanging down funny and yeah they have a fight and t- you're totally right the the weapons used in this final climax from here on out are really clever like the drill in the arm is painful yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, the so, foley. Oh God! So wait, well done, Mary. That whole se- that whole section is really cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So so into the end, Chase. Yeah. So Chase bests Gus by. I do like this scene too. He he picks up, he retrieves his gun that's been knocked out of his hand. Um, that had been knocked out of his hand earlier, and all the bullets fell out. Which is, I don't know if that's a thing that can happen with guns because I don't handle guns. But like, um, I'm assuming not. But whatever. Right. He manages to jam one bullet back in before Gus grabs him around the neck and starts strangling him, and he starts shooting right under Gus's chin. But of course, it's like you don't know where that bullet is in the chamber, and right. so it's like click, 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 and then finally, like he blows the back of. Gus's skull out, which again, fucking Clancy Brown, man. Like that happens and he stumbles around so perfectly. It's just great and crashes into like this giant 
um, you know, like, I don't even know what to call those things. Breakfront? Is that what it's called? I think <laughs> so, like, yeah. All the china and stuff, and it just crashes on top of him, which leaves Chase free. You know, Chase is in bad shape, but leaves him free to go back and try to save his son from whatever situation is happening in the attic. Right. But I still get the sense from the way that they did this scene with Chase, with, um, Chase arriving that mm-hmm. he doesn't quite understand. Like, he didn't quite understand that Gus was dead alive. Right. And he also doesn't quite believe that his wife will be back. So I did right. love this, that when he arrives, the housekeeper is, you know, dressed exactly like Renee, and she's lying mm-hmm. across the bed um, yeah. with her face turned away from him. So in his yeah. mind, when he arrives, he's like, oh, shit, like, this is my dead wife, and her body's now just, like, in the attic. Right. <laughs> right? Um, and so, yeah, so he he turns her over and discovers that it's Marjorie, even though she looks exactly like Renee, and I'm not sure that you would be able to tell. But <laughs> Right. Right. But in the yeah. corner, I'll let you carry us home. Go yes. pan over to the corner and tell us what we see. Over in the corner is the gorgeous, beautiful, um, to, to a suspicious degree, beautiful Renee. Undead, but lovely. Um, and she is so perfect in this whole end of, of the film, I think. Like, she's super creepy, in my opinion, because she's just so loving. And, you know, kind of matter of fact, it's, there's such a different tactic of evil than the other undead characters. Um, quick pause to say just b- before that, during the, the final Gus chase confrontation, there's a pretty good shining Kubrick axe um, reference homage send up. I just remembered that. So if you ever like, yeah. I hate references in movies, they've been around forever. Get over it. Um, and they're fun. <laughs> Yes, so we have Renee, and she is back, and she says, hey, you know, here I am, Um, and that she wants the three of them to work things out. And Jeff seems down, honestly. He seems like he wants her to stay. You know, he's got his mom back. He's, like, cuddled up to her. Um, And, you know, it's it's kind of a cute moment, (laughs) weirdly, in my opinion. But you know what? Things are going to go really bad. Um, and they do, including um, Clyde being here. We got to deal with Clyde. He's gnarly looking. His head's mm-hmm. all gross from being exploded by a bike wire, wire, bike wheel. Um, and so we got to fight him. And so the only person who can fight him is Jeff because Clyde go boom, boom. I don't remember <laughs> how he ends up on the ground. I, it also looks like Clyde is burnt and to me. Yeah. And so I, I think that they probably just, you know, it's Nicotero and who else? Uh, was it Baker? I, I can't remember. It's yeah. two like pretty famous FX guys, famous now FX guys who worked on this stuff. And so I feel like Clyde's reanimation is definitely a case of like, let's make this dude as gnarly as we can make it. Yeah. Um, so his makeup doesn't necessarily match up to what happened to him. I mean, I guess he's okay. kind of burnt. We'd have rubber, but yeah, he, he's more exploded than burnt. We definitely saw his mm-hmm. empty shell of a head lying on the ground yeah. there. Yeah. No eyes, no nose, nothing, but now it's back. So 
I don't know how that happens. I don't know what the mechanics of that are. Right. <laughs> and I actually, so the funny thing is I said Clyde go boom, boom, because he does. But I actually <laughs> meant, I actually meant the reason that Jeff has to take him on alone is because Chase go, is prone on the ground for oh. a reason. I can't remember why Chase can't get up off the ground. Um, well, he's, oh, he's hurt and... Oh, I think Renee hits him. Renee hits him with uh, with something to knock him out. Yeah, or like something from the ceiling falls. Anyway, yeah. Chase is prone on the ground. Dr. Chase is so in so much pain he can't get it together to help his son, his only son, his only living relative. <laughs> um, and so Jeff is left to fight off Clyde the bully alone. Well, Renee, undead Renee, seems indifferent right she just said how much she wants them to work it out and be a family but now that Mm -hmm. there's a threat she's not gonna help she's just sitting around she's like she's like laughing right i feel like she's like watching this and um again twisting the motivations a little bit i think like i think her motivations make more sense here because she's just like causing chaos which we we talked about seems to be the the major goal for the spirit of the Wendigo uh, that is you know taking over these bodies but um right. yeah so she I think like she's it's a lie right this is where mm-hmm. this is where Jeff realizes it's a lie because she's knocked out uh she's re-injured her former husband and doesn't seem to care that this other undead thing is here to kill her son and so I think that's the thing that makes Jeff be like oh crap like it's not my mom right exactly so just to, to close the, the loop on Clyde, Clyde does go boom, boom. There <laughs> is a live wire um, that is out. It's out. There's live wire. Um, there's some serious dangerous stuff going on in this house in terms of they did not do a home inspection, obviously, before they purchased. <laughs> and um, Jeff is able to basically shove the wire into Clyde's face and then his head explodes. And it's great. It's and he's, awesome. And he says, eat this asshole in the yeah. in the way that only Edward Furlong can say it. Um, yep. Yep. I didn't think that you could just pick up a live wire without hurting yourself. But like, sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, probably not. But I also don't know if a live wire into a human head would actually start a fire. <laughs> That's true. Like that's the reason everything goes on fire. Not it's strange. Uh, also, yeah. So like, oh, and I think like she knocks. I think Renee specifically also knocks over some of the candles, which oh, is yes. the only reason that we have candles here. But um, because she wants, I, it becomes clear that her goal is just to have them all burn up together. Yeah, I guess. Which again, I feel like still makes more sense for um, an undead character an undead thing just trying to cause chaos and grief mm-hmm. um to like burn themselves up in the process of taking out other people rather than killing the people and taking them to be buried <laughs> and bringing them back um right. but yeah I, I do like i do also i did make a note here that it's interesting how uh chase in Anthony Edwards in this movie is very, seems very much to me like he's like, here's the paycheck. Um, yeah. Oh, do you know what we skipped, though? Hmm. We skipped Chase's dream. 
Oh, which yeah. we have to talk about for a second. Yeah. Okay. So we're about to, everybody's about to burn down, right? So pause there. Do, 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 do. Rewind. <laughs> Rewind. Um, this is another one I'm at a loss. I, the whole point of the podcast <laughs> is to say words. And well, I don't know what words to say other than dog head boobies, which is <laughs> not very mature. Uh, I, 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 mean, it's I beautiful, feel this whole sequence, but I have no idea why it's there. This is this. Yeah, this is like it's almost like Mary Lambert stepped away and a male director stepped in for this very weird scene. Yeah. Uh, where it's like specifically designed to to titillate teen boys who might be watching this movie. Right. Um, But <laughs> Chase has this dream, um, this sex dream about his dead wife and. Mm-hmm. They're getting, you know, they're getting it on. She takes off her clothes. They do this weird thing where you can't see her head. And so obviously it's like they had a body double come in for the the boobs to show right. the boobs. But it's so, it's framed in a way that you never see <laughs> the head of the yeah. woman with the breasts. So it's just like these disembodied breasts. And then when the camera pans up, it's this crazy cartoony looking puppet dog head <laughs> yeah I mean, on its own that's a cool idea honestly and like i love it but yeah the way it's the way it's shoved in there makes very little sense especially for a character that's ultimately like not the, the hero even though they try to make him kind of the hero he's not yeah because he's because he disappears for so much of the movie it's also hard to sort of like put him in that role but yes but it's they did the they did the dog puppet head thing earlier where Jeff had a dream it, obviously not the same dream but because that would be right. super gross but like he had a dream about that about like Zowie the dog head being uh, you know appearing in the corner or whatever but I don't know again I don't know what the decision making process was yeah. for this other and it's such a weird it's so this whole movie really it's so weird and it sort of jumps all over the place which i think is you know part of the reason why it's not as successful as the first one right um i do remember when i was younger just laughing my fucking ass off about that scene and now when i see it i'm just like it's so out of place and so crazy like so weird (sighs) anyway so anyway here's our grand finale um (laughs) The but now the the attic is on fire thanks to um, exploded l- low rent evil Ed and um, and Renee knocking over some candles and she is standing on like the bed or shade long or whatever she's on and she's saying you know I love you guys and I want you to stay with me and to Je- the spell is broken for Jeff now he knows that his mother is is has is gone effectively mm-hmm. that only evil is left in its place and as the flames rise the makeup i guess that she had been wearing over her wound because when you come back from the dead your wounds are still there right yeah yeah um so i'm guessing like the the makeup that the funeral parlor would have or director would have put on her face to cover her mm-hmm. her wounds from being ex- uh, electrocuted start to be revealed the makeup is melted away and yeah. she's it's beautiful another great shot another great effect um and she's saying dead is better she's shrieking it you know 
Dead yeah. is better. And um, Dr. Chase is like, oh, kind of gives a look to his son like, I think we're going to die because they got rid of the, she pulled the doorknob <laughs> off of the door. There's no way out. Guess we're going to die. Um, so he leaves it to his son, Jeff, to um, fix the situation. He finds the axe um, that was used by Gus, maybe. You know, it starts to get tenuous. I'm like, weren't they in a different house? Maybe they weren't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, he grabs the axe, he axes down the door while his mother's still trying to be like, no, 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 let's all just burn to death. It's going to mm-hmm. be fun. Um, he gets the door open, he goes back to his dad, and he grabs his dad, and they hobble to the door. Here's my favorite part, and this is, <laughs> this is how I'm going to end this. They're at the door. Jeff looks back at his mom, right? He, this is the final moment of letting go that he needs to do. Mm-hmm. His dad, who is in his arms, says... We have to go, Jeff, and then turns and leaves his son. <laughs> yeah. Again, and like also he's so fucking chill about it. Like no. <laughs> Chase is like he's just, you know, as if Anthony Edwards is just in a regular movie and he's like that's not your mom. We yeah. got to go. <laughs> right, right. And here's the deal. I get it. They wanted that last <laughs> moment of Edward Furlong playing Jeff to like have the moment, a conscious, beautiful close-up of him being like, you're right, this isn't my mom, and I can let her go. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want anyone else in the frame. But like, oh, that's not the way to do it. That's not the way to do it, to have dad just leave. Yeah, and then also having Renee maniacally sort of scream like dead is better over and over, I was like, wait a second, though. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not what dead is better me. Right. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, total new meaning. In this lore, that. dead is better is the fucking warning for people not right <laughs> to haul their loved ones off to the burial ground. Exactly. Exactly. It's somehow missed. Also cuz like how would she know that that's like it's like a pretty specific phrase. Anyway, that's how it ends and it's a lot of fun. But it's a lot of <laughs> period. It's a little bit of a mess. Yeah. But, you know, uh, Mary's very distinct style, very, like, stylish. Mm-hmm. Um, I is still very present in the visuals. There are a lot of great visuals. Um, and it, it's fun. Yeah. Maybe not a, like, high rewatchability, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, like... You know, give it a whirl if you haven't seen it in a while and maybe you'll enjoy it again. Like the soundtrack is so perfectly like of that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a kind of a nice revisit there. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, <laughs> and if you love Clancy Brown, like that's your re- that's reason enough, I think, to, to give this a watch. But um, absolutely. Yeah, it's a uh, Pet Cemetery too, and it obviously it did not do well at the box office, so they did not make the p- p- sort of they had a third one in mind, and it just you know the studio was like, hmm, right. never mind, we're gonna cut it off here. Right. Um, it is interesting to know. I think I mentioned this in the last podcast though that Mary's original idea for a sequel was to have it focus on Ellie, and mm. um, you know, 
the studio <laughs> at that right. time was like, nobody's going to go see a horror film with a female protagonist. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so they're like, let's change it to something else. And then presumably hired this male screenwriter to, to whip up a story about teen boys instead. Because if you're a teen boy, of course you want to go see other teen, teen boys right. fight evil in a, in a horror film. Um, but yeah, I mean, and who knows, I haven't really, I didn't really dive into sort of like the behind the scenes of this. So I don't know, uh, if there was any strife, like what happened, you know, with the studio, was there like things that were demanded of it that required cuts and that's why it doesn't make any sense or maybe the screenplay was a mess to begin with and that's why it doesn't make any sense. But, um, but I did find it interesting knowing that that backstory about Mary wanted to be Ellie, that they did include a mention of Ellie in this film when Clyde is telling his ghost story about how, like, Ellie went crazy years later and murdered her grandparents and is now in an insane asylum. (laughs) Right, yeah. So I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, because her grandparents weren't peaches. So, like, we know that her grandparents had their own issues. (laughs) So. Yeah, it's a fitting it's a fitting end, you know, the the whole concept of the pet cemetery and like the idea it's a you know, it's a whole story and concept of grief. So I like the resolution that um, yeah. the grief got her in the end, you know. But I would have loved to have seen Mary's vision for what would have happened with Ellie yeah. going back to this town and, and how that would have played out. Oh totally. Yeah. And we probably won't get it, but yeah, she would have crushed it. Um, so yeah, that's it. It's a fun movie. Um, it's a, it's a, it's not a fuck the patriarchy or a not fuck the patriarchy. It's just kind of like a, a I mean, it is a fuck yeah. the patriarchy, but you know, that's not the primary point of the movie. No, but we should say it oh, just yeah. because. Let's, let's take it out on that. As much as I love you, Clancy Brown, your character is fucking abhorrent. <laughs> yes. So. Uh, yes. And now, and now, of course, you know, being wiser and older, recognizing even more so the problematic scene. Yes. With Gus and his wife. Um, three, two, one. Fuck Fuck the the patriarchy. patriarchy. (laughs) I love it. And until next time, friends, um, dead sometimes, dead is better. (laughs) I guess it is. Okay, bye. Bye. Hi, Splattercast friends. Thank you so much for listening to our two-part Mary Lambert Pet Cemetery Yammering. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us next time as we discuss Lee Genieck's chilling feature debut, Honeymoon.